what do I need to do to weigh the odds so heavily in my favor that I know before I've even run the ad that it won? You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Okay, let's talk about then, um, let's talk about hooks. Uh, because this, again, is uh, kind of an elusive idea to a lot of people. And you could just spend a whole career trying to master the uh, the art of coming up with the right hook. Yeah. Um, so if you would, share a little bit about your process for for coming up with hooks. Okay. So copywriting is a very interesting um, endeavor because it's a combination of left brain and right brain. It's a combination of logical, rational thinking and creative thinking. Um, so, um, you know, there's this... Um, uh, way of coming up with ideas. In fact, there's a book called, um, what's the book called? The Technique for Coming Up with Ideas or a Method for Coming Up with Ideas. It's written by James Webb Young. You know the one I'm talking about? I'll look it up while we're talking. I think it's called The Technique for Producing Ideas or Coming Up with Ideas. James Webb Young, he, was a, he worked at one of the big Madison Avenue ad agencies. And then he started his own mail order business selling uh, um, ties and stuff. Yeah, so, a, a Technique for Producing Ideas. Yep. Okay, the book, it's a book, but it's really a frickin' pamphlet. I mean, this thing makes uh, Who Moved My Cheese look like Moby Dick, okay? <laughs> really thin, right? You can read it in uh, half an hour, okay? Mm. <clears throat> and basically what it says is what you have to do is you immerse yourself in the research and stuff. You immerse yourself in all the things about the problem you're trying to solve. In our case, it's writing a piece of copy, so we immerse ourselves in the research. And if you want, I can talk about research and what do I ask clients for because research is where it, the game is won or lost. Yeah, for sure. Right? It's like the Super Bowl is won. In the trenches, yeah. Preparation, not, you know, by the time you're on the field, you've, you're already dialed in, right? Yeah. So um, you immerse yourself in the problem. You spend all your conscious effort on the problem, and then you walk away and forget about it and go do something else. Hmm. You're playing with your kid, or you're in the shower, or you're walking the dog, or whatever it is you're doing, you're noodling around on the guitar, and then, boom, out of nowhere, this idea comes into your head, right? Hmm. So you've heard this before, right? I've experienced it for sure, yeah. Experienced it for sure, and if you're like most of us, you say, I wish I would experience it on a, <laughs> a more, more often, right? At, at, at will, on demand, at yeah. Will. Mm -hmm. All right, so in a moment, I'm going to tell you a way to, to get to that. But <clears throat> before I do that, we've got to step back a second. Okay. This whole technique that James Webb Young talks about, it presupposes, if you're saying, I want to come up with the perfect hook or the perfect headline, it presupposes that you know how to recognize a good headline or hook when you see one. Mm -hmm. you're, you're giving your subconscious mind its marching orders to come up with a great hook or whatever, that presupposes that your subconscious knows how to do that. Mm. And for a lot of writers out there, your, your mind does not know how to do that. 
because they didn't take the time to ground themselves in the fundamentals. So before you start doing this thing, you need to know John Capel's backwards and forwards. You need to know Vic Schwab backwards and forwards. You need to know Claude Hopkins backwards and forwards. All those classic books, Cialdini, you need to know Cialdini backwards and forwards. But most of all, you need to know Gene Schwartz backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough one because that book is a bitch to get through. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell people is don't read the whole book. Just read the opening chapters. What you want to know is stages of awareness and stages of sophistication. Because if you know that, you will catapult to the top of the field. Because Mm -hmm. most people don't know it. Most clients don't know it. Most writers don't know it. I'll see clients testing stuff, and one of them beats the other one by a huge margin, and I go... I could have told you that before you spent the money. Mm. The other one was hitting the wrong stages of awareness and sophistication for this audience. So here's what it is in a nutshell. <clears throat> awareness means what do they know about your product, what do they know about the benefit, and what do they know about the problem. If you're a brand name where they know your brand name, you don't even have to say anything in the ad. You could have a headline that says, Um, iPhone, $300, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We don't write for clients like that, right? (laughs) They don't need us. Right. But there could be a a benefit that they may or may not know about, or they may not know that they want the benefit, but they know that they have a problem they want to solve. Okay? So, um, you know, um, and you have to figure out where they're at there. Right? right? And I'll give you a real-life example. <clears throat> there was a, um, we had this supplement that boosts nitric oxide mm-hmm. and in the body. And nitric oxide has all kinds of benefits. It's good for your heart. It helps you maintain erections. It does all this stuff. And, in fact, the guy who discovered nitric oxide won the uh, Nobel Prize in medicine. Okay? So we had this product. And I said, you know what? I was me and uh, Leah, Leah Carson. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, Leah, I'm guessing is by now everybody's already heard about nitric oxide. We don't have to convince them that they want it. They already know. In other words, nitric oxide is almost like a brand name. People know what it is and know they want it. Mm-hmm. Let's find out if that's true. So she went on uh, Google Keyword Tool to see how many searches per month it gets. And then she went on Google Trends to see it as on an uptrend or a downtrend. And based on that, we, we confirmed that, yeah, people already know about nitric oxide. Now, how do most people take nitric oxide, get, boost their nitric oxide? They take uh, arginine. It's an amino acid. They take arginine supplements. If you look in all the bodybuilder magazines, arginine, 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 right? So I go, look up that on there, too. So, again, she looks up on Google Keyword tool, she looks on Google Trends, getting a lot of searches. Yep, it's not, it's not an upswing anymore. It's leveled or it's coming down. It's old news. Everybody knows about it. Well, that tells us what we're going to do. So we wrote a headline that said, boost nitric oxide with L-arginine, right? Question mark? Wrong inflammation. Here's why it's virtually useless in people over 40 and what you should do instead. And we put it in the mail and it kicked butt. Mm-hmm. 
and then we're sending it to JV partners to send to their <coughs> to their mailing list, and they're saying, "Are you sure? I mean, shouldn't we talk about benefits?" Oh, trust me, mail it. And several of them came back and said it was the most successful or one of the most successful mailings they ever did to their list. Wow! And so that is a great example of understanding this uh, level of awareness of your market. Right. And the other half of that is sophistication, which means how many times have they heard this kind of promise before? Mm -hmm. So the first guy who ever goes into a market, all he has to do is make a promise. So, you know, 8,000 years ago, the first guy who ever had a weight loss product, all he had to do was put up a sign that says, lose weight. And everybody, oh, I want to lose weight, right? So, but then competitors crop up. So what they start doing is they start making a bigger promise than the first guy. Right? So let's, a guy says, I lose 10 pounds. The next guy says, lose 20 pounds. The next guy says, lose 50 pounds. The next guy says, lose 100 pounds, right? And this is what you see in the early stages of every market niche in the world. And this is what you see with the less skilled practitioners of our craft if they think, I'm just going to make a bigger promise than the other guy, and that's how I'm going to beat the other guy's ad. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how you're going to beat him if you're like the second or third guy ever to be in that niche. But if after that, people have stopped believing you, right? Right. So what the, the next stage is you start coming up with embedded proof elements within the ad, within the headline, rather. Okay, so the first guy makes a promise, the second guy makes a bigger promise, the third guy makes an even bigger promise, the fourth guy, if he's smart, will come in with a regular promise, but with proof in the ad, in the headline. Okay, so then that happens, and then what happens next is a new pissing contest happens. The old pissing contest was who could trump whose claim or promise, the new one is who could trump whose proof. And Gene Schwartz called them mechanisms. Your headline has to have a mechanism in it, if you, unless you're like the first one in, in a market, you know. And explain what a mechanism is. Like an embedded proof in the, in the, in the headline. Mm-hmm. You know, so going back to weight loss, okay? Um, you know, in the old days, it was lose weight and lose more weight and lose more weight, and then people stopped believing that stuff. So then people would come up with the reason why you would lose weight. So 20 years ago, the hot one was thermogenesis, herbs that make your metabolism faster. Today, the big one is, um, what's that hormone? Leptin. Mm -hmm. Leptin and ghrelin, right? Yeah. So the first guys that I know of who used leptin and ghrelin as their proof mechanism were the guys at Real Dose. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think I'm allowed to say how much money they make but they sell a ton of that thing. Yeah. And now everybody else who's talking about leptin and ghrelin, they're just copycats, okay? Right. Mm-hmm. It, so we need, somebody needs a new mechanism. Great. So just because we're into such a great lesson here, I want to make sure it's clear to people listening. Um, so the proof, uh, the, the, the desired outcome 
so the so the thing that people understand is the faster metabolism. People, we know that they're at a level of sophistication where uh, this has been promised, uh, or th- they recognize that that is a device that will help them reach their goal of losing weight. The mechanism is how you're promising, or the reason why your product will increase your metabolism. Yeah, so, but you, the awareness, they're aware that they want a faster metabolism. Yeah. So that, that, that's the awareness piece also. Yeah, right. And, but the faster metabolism, that's the mechanism, it's the proof for the losing weight claim. And so there's a lot of ways. See, it kills me when I go online and I see some VSL, and they all look the same. There's some real long-ass headline that's sort of a John Carlton wannabe headline that sort of kind of maybe sounds kind of like Carlton, but not really, because it's getting the structure but not, not the, not the uh, substance. Right. right. I used to tell a joke, and then I found out that Carlton was telling the same joke on stage, and it was actually, it, it had really happened. I used to say, you wouldn't say the amazing secrets of a one-legged one one accountant, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was getting laughs with this thing, not knowing that Trump was saying the same joke. <laughs> because it actually happened, right? Somebody and it was asked him for true. a critique, and that was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. one-armed so, accountant or something, yeah. So anyway, you'll see stuff with this kind of um, cumbersome headline, and then you'll see an opening promise, very generic, sounds, it's the if-then opening, right? Yeah. If you'd yeah. like to get more chicks in bed than you ever thought, then read, right? Whatever the, and then a bunch of testimonials, social proof, and that's it. That's the only freaking proof these guys know is social proof. Okay, buy Vic Schwab's book. There is an entire chapter on proof, but he has like twenty different kinds of proof in there. Mm -hmm. How to write a great advertisement by by Vic Schwab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, I don't know. Let's look at some of the stuff. I'm trying to, okay, so here's a control of mine. Uh, let me find it so I can read you the headline verbatim. It's for bottom line personal. And this control, this has been the control for like 11 years. So this, you know, model the ones that work, right? Yeah. Um, I have weak things I can show you that I did, but we don't want to model those. We want to model the strong ones, right? Right. So this isn't the only headline. I've, you know, we've tested different headlines over the year. But this headline's been running for, uh, wait a second, wrong one. Is this the uh, Wall Street Insider? No. That wasn't the one. That was one of them. This is the uh, crap. Now I'm under pressure. I have to find it. The clock is ticking. I clicked on the folder and it wasn't there. Uh, Immu- is this immunity boosting? Is it health or finance? Found it. Okay. <laughs> Um, prehead, never before revealed, colon, Warren Buffett's cockroach strategy, quote unquote, for getting rich in the stock market. Hmm. Okay. So there's two forms of proof there. One is Warren Buffett. The other one is there's an, there's an implication that there's this reason why explanation. There's a cockroach strategy. It's not just you know, whatever, there's like a, a, a method, right? Yeah. And then underneath it says, plus the real reason Buffett avoids technology stocks. Mm. 
what he does with his money during uncertain times, how to get a 50% yield on a stock investment. Yes, 50%. So that's what I mean by a mechanism there. The cockroach strategy is a mechanism. Yeah. And Warren Buffett, of course, is a big proof element. And Warren Buffett, see, Warren Buffett is what Schwartz called stage one awareness. It's a brand name. Mm-hmm. Right away, boom, everybody knows what it is. So on the awareness side, we've nailed it because we got Warren Buffett. What about the sophistication side? Have we nailed it there? Not yet, because everybody's saying Warren Buffett this, Warren Buffett that. So I have to say something new about Warren Buffett that they never heard before, right? Right. Because if you say Warren Buffett's secret for the stock, oh, I already know. I read his autobiography. I read, there's like all these books on him. I've read them all. I know all of this. But now you say cockroach strategy. You say, what? Cockroach strategy? I never heard of that before. This is something new. I know. I don't know this. I got to read this. Right. And so, right there, you're taking advantage of that sophistication, uh, and because you know, if they already believe that Warren Buffett holds the key to getting better returns, now you add a mechanism, and they're twice as likely to read it because it's uh, it's they already believe in the source. But now you've got the curiosity, the thing they have to go find out about. Right. So uh, let me go back to something I said a moment ago. This is left brain and right brain. It's logical, rational, but it's also creative, right? Mm -hmm. What is creativity? Creativity is nothing more than taking two things and linking them together. That's all creativity is. And I'm not the first one to say this. Gene Schwartz said it. Steve Jobs said it. What was the iPod? You took a Walkman plus a jukebox, and you put them together, you got an iPad. Mm -hmm. What's an iPhone? You take a cell phone plus an iPod, you put them together, you got got the iPhone, right? What is, who did I say a moment ago? Gene Schwartz. There was another example. Um, You know, you're always taking things and putting them together. Mm -hmm. First one to have drive-throughs was banks. Then somebody got the idea: take the drive-through, put it together with a restaurant. Boom! You got the drive-through window at a restaurant, right? So here, the genesis of this copy was me taking things and putting them together. Okay. So if I were to read you this copy, I don't know that we have time for me to read a page of copy here, but um, the I was reading. Okay, here's, here's what linked together here. Mm-hmm. One day, years and years ago, I was reading People Magazine or the National Enquirer. And there was a joke in there that said, uh, if there's a nuclear holocaust, the only thing that will, will survive is cockroaches and Cher. Cher, the singer-actress, right? Aha, mm-hmm. uh-huh, pretty funny, right? But I remembered it. It stuck in, in the back of my brain somewhere. Right. Then I start reading all this stuff about Buffett, how he says, I'm not worried about this gloom and doom shit. I buy companies that survive. You know, when when I started out, since I started, we've had uh, a Great Depression, four recessions, oil shocks, two world wars. You know, he starts naming all the calamitous things that have happened, and yet the market has gone up. And I buy companies that will survive. 
I buy Coca-Cola. A hundred years ago, people were drinking Coca-Cola. A hundred years from now, people will still be drinking Coca-Cola. Right? Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, that's like that cockroach thing I read about Cher. Mm-hmm. And I, so I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call it the cockroach strategy. And so I say in the copy, I call it the cockroach strategy. Here's why. As you know, cockroaches can survive and thrive in almost any condition. They've been on the planet since the time of the dinosaurs, and they've been able to withstand everything from natural disasters to nuclear explosions. Well, the companies that Warren Buffett invests in are just as hardy and resilient as cockroaches. Take Coca-Cola, for example. The company has been around since 1892. Since then, we've had two world wars, a Great Depression, a dozen recessions, terrorist attacks, oil shocks, even international currency collapses, yet through it all, Coca-Cola keeps growing its sales and earnings. Right? Mm, now, the other thing that occurred to me when I'm reading all this stuff, he buys Coca-Cola, he buys all these, you know, things that kind of people are always going to want, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't buy tech stocks. The big um, saying about Warren Buffett is, he, he's quoted as saying, I don't buy tech stocks because I don't understand them. Right? Hmm. So I look at all this, I go, bullshit, the guy's a freaking genius. Of course he understands them. That's not the real reason he buys, doesn't buy tech stocks. The real reason he doesn't buy tech stocks is because they could be obsolete tomorrow. Yeah. It's always a new technology. Whereas sugar water is never obsolete. Right? Right. So that's where I came up with that subhead. The real reason Buffett avoids technology stocks. It's great. Creativity is the process of linking two things together. It reminds me of how so many ideas get pitched in Hollywood, right? right. What's the movie about? Well, it's Blazing Saddles meets uh, When Harry Met Sally. Right. <laughs> or something, you know. And, okay, tell me more. And, and you know, so uh, fantastic. It actually, Steven Seagal movie, it's Die Hard on a Ship. Right. Oh, okay. What's that Whoopi Goldberg movie? It's some like it. Well, what's that um, Eric Idle, Nuns on the Run? It's some like it hot, but except in a convent. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. And then, Sister well, act, let's yeah. take it a step further. It's that with Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's great. No, so cool. Wow, man. Okay, so we haven't even gotten to the essential question yet. Uh, all right, but let me finish the... Okay, the yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So you know all the rules, and you do the James Webb Young method, but here's how to put the James Webb Young Method on steroids. Right. There's a book called The Eleventh Element. The guy who wrote it is one of us. And, you know, he was a longtime Dan Kennedy, you know, um, customer and whatever. Like, Student. Like, mm-hmm. right? And the book's called The Eleventh Element. And he says, here's what you do. You actually sit down and write a letter to your subconscious. You say, dear subconscious, and then you outline, you tell the subconscious what the problem is. Dear subconscious, as you know, I've been trying, wrestling, trying to come up with a big idea for uh, this new, um, you know, product that I'm writing for. And I, I think I'm stuck because I'm whatever, but you just write all your conscious thoughts that you're wrestling with, and you put them in this letter to your subconscious. And then at the end you say, anyway... What I'd really like is for you to give me a great headline for this piece. 
And then at the bottom, there's this thing he always closes the letter with, which says, from the limited perspective of my conscious mind, this is what I think I, this is what I, think I want. Please give me this or something better. Love, Kevin. Hmm. And take that piece of paper, and there's this sacred place where you keep all your 11th element requests, and you put it there. And damned if it doesn't work. Incredible. I've heard uh, Gary Benzvenga talk about this as well, instructing your subconscious to provide what you need. You know, and the prerequisite is that you have done the proper research and investigating to get your mind full of sort of the facts and the, and, and the ideas. And it's your subconscious then that can go to work and do its magic. It's unseen magic. And you wake up with, bah, there it is. You know, and the other thing about Gary is, I remember him saying this. I still have the vision in my mind's eye of him telling us all this at the Benzavenga 100. He's going, and you have to be nice and gentle with your subconscious. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, no, that's why it's not working for me, because I'm <laughs> whipping my subconscious. I'm like, you're the fucking headliner. <laughs> <laughs> You've been a bad slave owner of your subconscious. That's right. So the 11th element is a very respectful way of, of asking your subconscious for help. Wow. Help. Love yeah. That. Man, I've never ordered so many books during an actual, in real time during an interview. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the other one I'll mention that uh, I know Gary, Gary privately recommends is Feeling is the Way by Neville Goddard. Or, I'm sorry, Feeling is the Secret is the title of the book. Just to add to the pile that people will be... Uh, right. I don't have that one. Feeling is the secret. Yep. Feeling is the secret. It's actually Kim Krause Schwamm who told me that he recommended that book. And I don't think I'm giving away a secret of Gary's. But uh, uh, so, okay. Wow, man. This is, uh, I, I knew you would just show up big, but this is way beyond uh, my desires, my dreams. So thanks uh, already for your, your generosity, Paris. Uh, I know that this kind of stuff He's usually reserved only for your copy cubs. And as much as they, uh, well, they, they, they love being in your world. I'm sure it's not always easy. Do you feel like you're, you're, you're hard on them? Uh, you know, um, in, a, in a fatherly way? Or are you, are you, you know, really tough to work with? Uh, you know, I, whenever anybody wants to be one of my cubs, I always tell them that it's basically indentured servitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hard on them, but I don't think I'm unfair with them. And I do, um, they, you know, they stick around. Yeah. Though, well, not, that's not, uh, that's not entirely true. A lot of people have quit. Well, sure. I um, mean, it's kind of the nature of the business probably, but, yeah, yeah. uh, you're not, you're not J.K. Simmons in, in whiplash. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, uh, and I've also mellowed a bit with age. Yeah, it's happened in all you guys. Carlton talks about it. Carlton never made me cry. I, I feel a little underprivileged. But, you know, <laughs> I've, made, I've made a couple of cubs cry, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, great. So, well, let's get to it. Uh, I don't know how you'll top this, but uh, Paris Lampropolis what is the one thing you've done in your marketing that has produced the most surprising results? Uh, what's the book? Okay. Um, I 
somebody on the Facebook page asked a question, what's the one question that runs through your mind through everything you do? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that question is, how can I do, what do I need to do to weigh the odds so heavily in my favor that I know before I've even run the ad that it won? Mm. And so that's what I'm always asking myself. Um, and I'll give you an ex- and this is sort of antithetical to your question. And I'm going to answer your question. I'm not trying to duck the question. Sure but I'm trying to give you a contrarian perspective, right? Because we all say that you don't know, we don't know, that's why we test, right? Right. That's the mantra, that's that's gospel in our business, right? And it's true. You don't know until you test. However, if I'm being paid to go up against an existing control, and I'm not going to make royalties unless I beat that control, well, I, the only acceptable result for me is that I'm going to win. That's the only acceptable result. And so it's like the Gary Halbert gun to the head thing. If somebody had a gun pointed at your head and you had to make, you could mail this letter to one person and that person had to die or they would blow your brains out, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Well, you would pull out all the stops. So my whole um, growth in my career and learning and trying things and everything out was all with the objective to getting to a point where everything I do is predictable. I know it's going to win. And so I'll give you an example of that, okay? Please. The very first time Boardroom ever hired me, they hired me to write for um, this book called Tax Loophole. And the control was written by one of the greatest copywriters to ever walk the earth. And the headline was, Pay No Taxes in 1996. And the previous year was, Pay No Taxes in 1995. And so I'm reading his copy, and I'm in awe of this guy, right? I was in awe of him just because of his reputation, but reading the copy made me more in awe of him. Mm. And I said... How the hell do you beat this? I mean, this is a freaking suicide mission. And so I called up Clayton Makepeace. And I said, Clayton, man, what am I going to do here? This is my one shot. You know, you only get one shot. And if it doesn't pull, you're done. They go to somebody else, right? And he read the copy and he said, yeah, it's a really good copy. But you know what? It could be stronger in specifics. If you put more specifics in your copy, you may be able to beat him. Mm. And I said, okay, let me look for specifics. So I'm doing all my research, and somewhere in the research, there was this factoid that the average reader of this book sells 10, um, I don't remember the exact thing, but $10,731. They save $10,731 a year on their tax. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, that's more specific. So let me ask you two headlines. Headline number one is pay no taxes in 1997. Headline number two is 
how to save $10,731 or whatever average of $10,731 in taxes. Which one's stronger, the bigger claim or the more specific claim? Well, let me go more specific since you foreshadowed that. Well, I didn't really. I'm, I'm not. What do you think would win? Tell, me, tell them to me again. One of them is pay no taxes in 1997. It's a, you know, it's his headline. Mm-hmm. Versus my headline, you know, uh, some variation of saving $10,731 on your tax. I think it's the second one because the first one feels like it, 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 it gives me more questions than answers. The second one drives my curiosity with the specificity of that number. Okay. So somebody might also argue, well, the first one gives me more questions, so I've got to read it, right? Yeah, right. The point is that if I asked 10 different people which one's going to win, you're going to get a split decision. You're not going to get a unanimous answer. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell me? My job's not done yet. I haven't come up with the killer headline. Mm. The killer headline's the one where I know in advance that it's going to win. I don't know in advance. There's too too much uh, uncertainty here. Back to the drawing board. So I went back to the drawing board, and then I read about filing amended tax returns that you could go back for the past three years and amend any all any or all three of those returns. You file a 1040X, I think it's called, or ten, something, whatever it is. It's the form to amend your tax, previous year's tax return. Now, Remember what I said about creativity. Creativity is linking two different things. So I took something from page 12 on the book, and something from page 327 on the book, and linked them together. I said, hey, wait a minute. If you can file amended tax returns, and if the average person who reads this book sells, saves $10,731, can you not just go back and amend each return and get $10,731 back on each one of the past three returns? Now we're getting somewhere. Mm. You know what? This is kind of like a reverse tax audit where you're the one in the driver's seat, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing I learned is, well, if you amend the return, that may put the, uh, your return under new scrutiny by the auditors. Right. But... There's a statute of limitations. They have, I forget how many years it is, four years before, and then they can't audit that return anymore. Mm. So you wait right until right before that statute of limitations, and you file the amended return then. And now they can't scrutinize your return. They can only scrutinize those items that you changed. Now I've got this whole concept. It's a reverse tax audit, the one where you're in charge, where they're the ones sweating, and they can't do anything to you and all this. Great concept. And now I come up with my headline. The IRS, um, Bob Shell from Top Tax Attorney, colon, the IRS owes you $10,731. Here's how to get it in as little as 60 days. Wow. Then my other headline was, there's a big joke. What's the greatest headline? Free money would be the greatest headline. Right. My second version was free money from the IRS. And then subhead, if, um, if you're the average taxpayer, the IRS owes you $10,731. Here's how to get it in the next 60 days. 
Now, if I ask you which is the stronger headline, the pay no money and pay no taxes, or the second one, which one do you think is a stronger headline? Yeah, second one. And so that's what we did, and we beat the control by a wide margin. Wow. That's brilliant. I love it. Uh, man, talk about following the idea all the way down. And again, never losing sight of uh, that customer. Like you said, your, your client is the buyer, is the customer. That's who you're serving. And that's what leads to great ideas like this is that you're always thinking, what is it they need to hear? Forget what the client wants it to say. If they're not uncomfortable, I'm not doing my job. That person sitting there, uh, rifling through their mail, the classic AB pile, you get it open in their hands, gun to the head, what do you say that helps them understand that you've got something they really need or can make great use of? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, is this the one? So there was no headline on this ad. It is a... Uh, oh, there is a headline. I, I thought... The headline, there were two headlines. Free money from the IRS was one headline. Mm -hmm. Subhead, if you're the average person, the IRS owes you $10,731. Here's how to get it in those little 60 days. The other headline was, bombshell from top tax attorney, colon, the IRS owes you $10,731, exclamation. Subhead, here's how to get it in the next 60 days. Both those headlines beat the control by a wide margin, and they were essentially tied. Mm. So... We just went with one of them and mailed it, and it mailed for a few years. Wow. It, okay, so this is different than the one that's the from the administrative office and starts out, Dear Taxpayer. Uh, that's a different piece. That was for Tax Hotline, which was <laughs> – that's the funny thing, right? What more freaking boring uh, topic to write about, yeah, right? right. So they hire me. I write the tax loopholes control. I'm like, awesome. Maybe now they'll hire me again. Maybe they'll hire me for one of their health books. They come back and they go – Paris, you did such a good job on tax loopholes. We want you to do the tax hotline newsletter. <laughs> Thank you. Right. So, yeah, there's a story behind that one, too. Um, Brian Kurtz said, hey, uh, the editors of tax hotline is getting together with all these CPAs and tax attorneys who, who contribute. We're having dinner at the Four Seasons. You, wanna, you should come since you're writing for it. I go, Okay. Well, boy, what more exciting than a room full of tax geeks, right? <laughs> the meal's free, right? Yeah. The meal's free, right? So, but that gave me the hook for the piece. Mm. It gave me the idea of this closed door, um, closed door meeting, secret closed door meeting with these guys who you would have to pay like three hundred dollars an hour to do your your tax work. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I've got the theme. But what's my headline? How do I get people into the thing? I go, what if I do a Halbert A-pile envelope, right? Mm -hmm. And then the thing that I always, the, be, the thing about Halbert envelope is it's a plain white envelope with a live stamp and, you know, typewriter font. It looks like a mail you're getting from your Aunt Millie, right? Mm -hmm. If you open it up and there's some hawking headline and sales letter, what happens now? Yeah, now they you're back in the back. B pile. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, oh, sex, you know, the sex headline. Now that I got your attention, right? <laughs> and Halbert called that the oh, yuck factor. And I couldn't remember what Halbert had said about it. So I called Johnny Carlton. 
and I said, hey, man, you've done a lot of these eight-pile mailings. How do you get, how do you overcome that old fat, oh, yuck factor? And he says, oh, you know, he called this slide a hand. And I said, I'm thinking maybe I'll make this an official notice or something from the IRS. I'm trying to think what my opening should be. I'll tell you. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And John goes, your opening is going to be, I'm writing to you about the urgency of your tax situation. (laughs) (laughs) I said, perfect. Thanks. And that was my opening sentence. That's great. So imagine you've opened this mail that looks like it came from Aunt Millie. It's a, no, this one doesn't look like Aunt Millie. Uh, 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 looks like it came from... See, this one was a windowed envelope. Okay. And it said, important tax information enclosed, do not discard. So what do they think they're oh, getting? yeah, something from the IRS. They, yeah. they think they're getting a 1099 form or some shit like that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's thicker than a 1099. Mm. It's bulging. So now they've got to open it to see what the hell it is. When they open it, at the top, was, there was like a barcode and all kinds of bureaucratic mumber jumbo, case number, this, tax Control number, number, dispatch number, caller ID, yeah. Right, all this shit, right? And they're like, what? What is this? Now they're starting to get a little nervous. And the first sentence is, I'm writing to you about the urgency of your tax situation. Yeah. Dear taxpayer, we are contacting you because of the urgency of your tax situation. Wow. Alarm's going off. Uh, the IRS... Reconstruct, uh, restructuring and Reform Act uh, Reform Act is now a distant memory and Congress has focused its attention on other matters as a result the IRS has gone back to business as usual there's our mechanism in fact tax preparers across the country report that the agency has resumed its oppression of taxpayers for many Americans this means that the coming tax season will be a nightmare However, thanks to new information that has never before been made public, you can avoid IRS hassles while paying less income tax than ever before. Here are the details. And then it goes on. Right. Uh, fantastic. Wow. So what we've done there, we, we put them through a, a roller coaster, right? Yeah. At first, yeah. they think it's just something they got to give to their accountant. Yeah. But they're thinking, this is kind of thick. Let me open it. They open it. They almost have a heart attack because they think it's from the IRS. Then they read the copy and they realize, oh my, no, it's not. It's from the good guys who are going to help me out. Right. So we got to save me from the IRS. And then the letter has all these great bullets in it. And then there's sidebars in the letter throughout of all cool stuff. Again, forehead slappers. Mm-hmm. Stuff that you never would a million years would have thought of. Ways to save money on your taxes that never would have occurred to you. Really cool things, right? Yeah. And by the way, read the P.S. Yes, this is thick. Okay, uh, 16 pages later, P.S. Remember, to qualify for the TXH-100, we must hear from you within 11 days. <laughs> <laughs> what do people tell you about P.S.'s? They tell you it's the, the first thing they see because they look to see who the letter's from, and under the signature, there's a P.S., right? Right. So what, what's the common advice to do about PS? Uh, recap your offer. Right. Why would I want to do that? I've just tipped off that I'm selling them something. Right. What did I do in my PS? You shot curiosity through the roof and urgency. What the fuck is this TX? Now i got to read it to find out what it is. <laughs> and I have 11 days, so I can't do it tomorrow. Yeah. Right. So do you know what that was? What was that it? Was the, the TX11 was the, na- the model number that I made up. For the free calculator that they get when they subscribe. 
TXH100. Wow. Little little Sugarman uh, mixed in there. Yeah. Man, that's great. Wow. Oh, man, it's great. Uh, so, well, now we understand if there was any doubt or wonder in your mind how uh, someone like Brian Kurtz, who's mailed over a billion pieces in his life, would want to put uh, Paris Lampropolis' face on what he calls the Mount Rushmore of copywriting. And now you know. Uh, Paris, you know what it is, though? Yeah. Let me tell you something yeah. very important. You know, David's on that Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Eric Bechtwell, um uh, um, Arthur Johnson. Arthur Johnson, thank you. And that's the current Mount Rushmore. But before us, there was Jim Punkry, there was Clayton, there was Gene Schwartz, there was Mel Martin, there was, uh, uh, who am I leaving out? Somebody, I know I'm leaving Benzavanga. out. Ben Zavanga. Ben of course, yeah. right? And these are, are some of the best copywriters to ever walk the earth. And it's no mistake that they were writing for this company. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Robert Collier said almost a hundred years ago now that the hardest thing in the world to sell is a book. Because a book isn't a magic pill that magically makes your problem go away. You have to actually read the book, then you have to do what the book tells you to do. Who the hell wants that, right? Right? Right, yeah. Well, so the other problem with the book is the profit margins are razor thin. Hmm. They're charging $29, $39 for this book. The book costs a lot of money to print. It costs a lot of money to ship. And then when you're in direct mail and you have to pay postage and, and letter shop and printing and all that, okay, it's like that's why I was – struggling broke the early years of my career is because I thought I was going to be in the book business. You can't, <laughs> you can't be in the book business unless you're Brodale or Borgram and you have those economies of scale, okay? Now, taking it a step further, there's actually a problem, product that's even worse than a book. That's a newsletter. See, at least with the book, you get the entire solution between the two covers of the book. With a newsletter, you get it in dribs and drafts month after month. Who the hell wants that, right? Bill Bonner has a famous quote. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, boy, I could use another newsletter. (laughs) Right? Right. So if you have to write for these things, it forces you to get really good Hmm. because you're not going to survive otherwise. Right? Absolutely. Nobody wants what you're selling, so it better be amazingly compelling. And the margins. Tight margins, no room for error, hmm. right? So, you know, I think that's an important point yeah. to make. So it was the it's the publishers who accepted these terms and understood it. it you know, Brian talks about the forty forty twenty and the twenty being the the copy. That even though it's only twenty percent, without it, you're dead. And like uh, he likes to say that, as Marty would always say they were thrilled to write huge checks to copywriters. Here's a million dollars, Gary Pennsylvania. Yeah. Here's a million dollars, Paris, because how much did we just make if we're paying you a million? Yeah, they never gave, I never got a million dollar check from them, but hey. <laughs> hey, keep oh, trying. You're young, kid. 
right, Paris, uh, man, can't thank you enough. And um, uh, what's I, usually this is where I'd ask where people can find you. They can't find you. You're not. <laughs> you're not for. You're not for finding. Yeah, I'm not really. I'm not really looking for uh, clients. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, someday we hope to uh, coerce you into maybe creating a, a course or doing some teaching. I think uh, even Brian, who owns the rights to Breakthrough, uh, Breakthrough Advertising, says that nobody knows it inside it out, understands it, and uses it on the same level as you. So any chance that we may see that someday? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I love it. All right, Paris, thank you so much. We'll talk soon, brother. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash TAM, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com, and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.